You're listening to The Hold Fast Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Hold Fast Podcast. I am David Brandau, and today we're going to start getting into the substance of the series on the Bible. Now, in this series, we're looking at the book itself, the myths people believe about it, and its legend. And by legend, I mean what makes the Bible such a great book. So the first issue we're going to be looking at is the inspiration of the Bible. The first myth about the Bible is God did not inspire it. Men wrote it without any divine inspiration. But since I believe the Bible is inspired, I will start with a couple of verses that make this claim. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter writes, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These are our two portions of Scripture. The writers claim the Bible is inspired. God used people to accurately document what he was saying. But just because men wrote the physical words does not mean the Bible is anything less than if God had done it himself. God chose who he wanted to write his words. He used their experiences and their own expressions to say what he wanted to say. Now, there are views floating around the church that accept divine inspiration, but only for certain spiritual parts. For example, people would say, obviously Jesus was speaking for God or Isaiah. But when you look at the more historical elements, it's obvious those are metaphors or what the writer believed were true. And here's my problem with that view. If I can't believe the parts that don't align with a modern consensus of history, how can I believe these spiritual parts that can't be verified? I do not think the Bible is the Word of God because of the evidence. I know the Bible is the Word of God because I've had an experience with the God of the Bible. I believe His Word is accurate because I know Him to be real. And this goes back to what I've said several times throughout this series. The evidence does not create faith. It builds up faith. So if you're looking to the Bible to prove God is real, you're doing it backwards. God will reveal himself to you and lead you to the Bible, affirming and building your faith in him. 
Another view of the inspiration of the Bible is that it is only inspired when it inspires you. This view says you, the person reading, is inspired, but the Bible is not. The problem with this view is people tend to take scripture and confirm what they already believe instead of letting God speak to them through the scripture. I was talking to a friend of mine once, and we discussed whether speaking in tongues was biblical. And my friend's view was that it was a dead gift. He believed God used it in the past, but no longer uses it today. My view was that I saw no evidence in the Bible to say it was gone. Now, I do believe, just as Paul wrote, there is a time and place for it, but it isn't gone. So my friend pulled out a verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And my friend's argument was that the gift of tongues, because it sounds like childish gibberish, was what Paul was referring to in the scripture. Now, the problem with this, and the problem with anyone who thinks they're the ones who are inspired and not the Bible, is you create a contradiction in the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? This friend I was talking to says, tongues are gone. Here's the verse. Well, he created a contradiction that otherwise wouldn't exist. Because in the same book, and actually the very next chapter, literally seven verses after the verse he quoted, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And in verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So according to my friend's understanding and what he believed Paul was saying in chapter 13, verse 11, Paul must have schizophrenia. You see, my friend created a contradiction in the word of God because he was looking for confirmation of what he already believed instead of letting God's word speak. And that's the issue with claiming the reader is inspired instead of the Bible. In my very first episode, I told you I don't want to follow the doctrines of men. I want to follow doctrines as laid out in the Bible. I am not looking for some new mystery. I'm not looking to be inspired by words on a page. I want to know God. I am not going to the Bible to confirm what I already believe. I am going to the Bible to build up my faith, to know understand and comprehend the God who saved me. You cannot go to the Bible and look for inspiration if you don't believe God speaks through it. I cannot tell you how often I've talked with people who ignore the quote-unquote boring parts, looking for some new mystery to inspire themselves with. If you truly let the Bible speak, God will speak to you through every verse. So without getting too far off topic, the Bible is infallible because the Bible is inspired by God and speaks his thoughts 
and what he wants you to know about himself. Reading the Bible the way God intends cannot lead you to contradictions. It contains no errors and it makes no mistakes. It is complete in that this is what God wants you to know. It isn't missing any information for it to produce precisely what God intends it to. And to provide you a little bit of evidence regarding the Bible's inspiration, first I want to look at the writers of the Bible. There are over 40 different writers who documented what God told them throughout a span of 1,500 years. And because of this vast amount of time, there is no possible way they could get together and corroborate a work of fiction. Mostly, the writers were uneducated. They came from humble backgrounds and weren't great philosophers or brilliant thinkers. Yet every single one of them wrote with absolute confidence that what they were writing was what God was saying. Not one of the writers attempts to justify his position on what makes him qualified to say, thus says the Lord. This lack of defensiveness, this lack of climbing the hurdle of credibility, speaks to the level of inspiration driving them to say what they did. These men knew it was God and wrote it or spoke it. Jeremiah is a great example of this. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, Jeremiah is talking to God, and he said, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me, for when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah says he was induced and persuaded to speak. But what he said was so unpopular, he was mocked and ridiculed daily. Jeremiah admits he was so inspired, so compelled he could not stop prophesying. All of the Bible authors, except for maybe one or two, were Jews. Yet all wrote a single work with universal appeal. But without inspiration from God, explain how writers from ancient times could write something that still speaks to us today. Out of the 40 plus writers, we have two kings, two priests, a physician, two fishermen, two shepherds, a Pharisee, a politician, a tax collector, a soldier, a scribe, a cupbearer, and many, many more. Still, they all wrote with the same authority, never contradicted each other, and somehow developed the same theme. So without inspiration from God, tell me how this happens. These writers documented history, and it's verified. They write about science, and it's confirmed. They write about medicine and give laws for healthy living, and they're right. 
These writers write about ethics and practical wisdom, and all of these things are verified to be true. So if you take all of those things, all of the claims of inspiration, and you believe that, you believe God said it, then it's easy to understand the Bible. But if you don't think the Bible is inspired, you don't believe God is the speaker, it is nearly impossible to explain how 40 different people at 40 different times all wrote their own individual thoughts in 66 separate books over a span of 1,500 years and all came to the same conclusion. Without inspiration from God, tell me what inspired these men. In 1618 or 1619, William Harvey discovered the circulatory system is what kept people alive by pumping blood entirely through the human body. Think about that for just a second. 1618. Approximately 1600 years after the birth of Jesus. Now listen to this. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Do you know when the book of Leviticus was written? 1440 to 1400 BC. Let's look at another one. Herbert Spencer, in about 1903, discovered that everything in the universe fits into five categories. Time, force, action, space, and matter. 1903. Spencer claimed everything that exists can be put into one of those five categories. And at the time, this was brilliant. This helped further the idea of evolution through natural selection. And most importantly, it showed that everything exists in five categories and not a single one of them was God. But Moses, in 1450 to 1400 BC, wrote Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there's the category of time. God, there's the category of force. Created, there's the action. The heavens and the earth, there's space and matter. So again, I ask, if God didn't inspire the writers, what did? 3,808 times, the writers of the Old Testament claimed they were writing the words of God. 2,600 times, the writers explicitly claim they were writing under the inspiration of God. But what about the New Testament? The New Testament writers directly quote the Old Testament writers 320 times and refer to the Old Testament at least a thousand times. But what did the New Testament writers think of the Old Testament? Well, we can take a look at that. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Moses writes, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. The key point here is the Lord had said to Abram. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, you'll see Paul writes, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Paul says, Scripture says. Genesis says, The Lord said. And this type of thing happens all over the New Testament. The writers believed whatever the Scriptures say, God says. So they identified the voice of God with written scripture. When you read the Old Testament, you are reading what God says. The Bible is not a fictional novel designed to entertain you. It is what God said. But what does the Bible say about the New Testament? Let's look again at Paul. And this one's actually pretty interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads on the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And again, Paul says, Scripture says, and he gives two examples. The first one comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which is, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the second example comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, in which Jesus says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Do you see the significance of that? Paul, a New Testament writer, is quoting the book of Luke, a New Testament writer, calling it scripture, and it's Jesus who said it. Well, maybe that's just because Paul is quoting Jesus, right? That's a, that's a good argument. So I want to point you to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Peter says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter calls Paul's writings, while Paul is still alive, scripture. Peter doesn't say one of Paul's letters do what the scriptures do. Peter says Paul's writings are just as inspired as all the other scriptures. 
And just like the writers of the Old Testament testified, they were speaking from God. Paul and the other New Testament writers also make the same claim repeatedly. Now I know, that's great and all. But what about Jesus? What did Jesus believe about Scripture? John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus first says he is the message throughout the scriptures. So that's the first thing he believed. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Not only did Jesus teach that he was the message of Scripture, but he also taught that he was the fulfillment of all Scripture. So what did Jesus believe about Scriptures? He believed they were the words of God. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 32, we get a little story here. It says, The same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to him, which is Jesus, and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Jesus first says to these Sadducees, you are wrong about the scriptures, and you're wrong about the power of God. He answers their question with his own words and then turns the conversation to rebuke them on their false belief about the resurrection. Now, Jesus is specifically quoting Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where Moses documents the story of the burning bush and says, Have you not read what God said to you? Jesus didn't say, Have you not read what God said to Moses? Jesus believed the scriptures were spoken by God, and just as they were told to Moses, they were spoken to the people of his own time. 
Jesus also believed the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, had the power to bring people to salvation. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but sometimes the most powerful point of the story can be missed. Jesus tells the story of a rich man and the beggar Lazarus. Jesus says Lazarus was covered in sores and laid at the rich man's gate, hoping to only eat the crumbs or the trash left over by the rich man. And Jesus describes, When both men died, the angels took Lazarus the beggar to Abraham's bosom, a place of peace and rest, and all his wants were taken care of. But the rich man was in Hades. And As Jesus tells the story, he says the rich man could see this beggar in comfort while he himself was being tormented. And he cries out to Abraham and says, send him over here with just a drop of water to bring me some relief from this fiery torment. But Abraham tells him no. Abraham tells this rich man, you got all your blessings and comfort while you were alive, while this man was tormented. You did nothing to ease his torment then, so you are tormented while he is comforted. Abraham also tells him it's impossible for this man Lazarus to go to you, and neither can you come here. We'll pick up this story here in Luke chapter 16, verses 27 through 31. And then the rich man said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, most pastors will tell you this is a warning to those who don't take care of those around them who are in need. And it definitely does apply to this. But it's also telling us the scriptures are sufficient enough to bring you to Christ. Jesus actually says in Mark chapter 12 that the reason why you are led astray, the reason why you are deceived, and the reason why your theology is wrong is because you do not know the scriptures. So Jesus believed in the scriptures, the one who is the truth. The one who is the word knew, accepted, and submitted to the inspiration of the written word without reservation. And if you're a believer, you only have three possible conclusions you can come to about Jesus and what he taught and believed about the Old Testament. Number one, there are no errors in the scripture. Number two, there are errors, but Jesus didn't know about them. Or number three, there are errors, Jesus knew about them, and he covered them up. Listen, if you say you're a Christian, and your conclusion is anything but option number one, I have to warn you. If you go with option two, 
if you conclude the Bible contains errors, but Jesus didn't know about them, then he isn't God. And if Jesus isn't God, then what are we doing here? The whole concept of redemption falls apart if Jesus isn't God. If you go with option three, if you conclude the Bible contains errors, Jesus knew about them and he covered them up, then God isn't holy and doesn't deserve our worship or obedience. But if you believe that God is holy, Christ is God, you must believe in the divine inspiration of the Bible. You must accept the Bible as the documented word of God. You must believe it is without error, without contradiction, and complete. Human intellect cannot bring you to believe the Bible is true. Why? Because unless the Holy Spirit works on your heart, there is no evidence to prove the Bible is true. The Bible is true because it says it's true. And I believe this because I've experienced the God who directed me to it. To expect outside confirmation of the word of God is to give people, places, and things the authority to judge him and his words. No one is qualified to determine the truth of the eternal one but God himself. To believe in the Bible, to accept the Bible is the inspired word of God, and to accept that it's true, the Holy Spirit must redeem our hearts and minds from the effects of sin. Those who have not surrendered to the Holy Spirit and have not allowed that redemption process to work are hostile to him. Romans chapter 8 verses 7 through 8 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is impossible to convince people with arguments and preaching alone to believe in the Bible. It is impossible because after the fall of Adam, our hearts became hostile toward him. They became hostile toward the truth. Why? Because the message of the cross, the way to salvation, is directly opposed to how we want to live. We want to please ourselves. We want to live for ourselves and we want everything for ourselves. Everything in this world is focused on me, me, me. The message of the cross is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you are convinced by words and evidence alone, Without the Holy Spirit working in your heart, you can become unconvinced by opposing words 
in opposing evidence. Does that mean there is no evidence? Or the evidence we do have is useless? No. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The evidence must speak to something internal. It cannot speak to only the external. The evidence must talk to the inner work of the Holy Spirit, but there is no inner work if no one preaches it. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Holy Spirit cannot produce belief in Christ if the person hasn't heard about him. The Holy Spirit cannot make belief in the word of God if the person hasn't heard the word of God. The Holy Spirit can only work if a person has something inside for him to witness to. The ultimate direct evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, that's enough for me. I do not expect the unbeliever to understand it. I don't expect those who live in the flesh to be anything but hostile to it. If there's no hostility to it, then I know there's a seed there that the Holy Spirit is witnessing to. So that's the episode challenging the myth that the Bible is not an inspired book. I hope I've given you something the Holy Spirit can witness to. And I know I felt that witness while studying it and preparing for this episode. If you enjoyed this and are interested in continuing to build up your faith, next week we're going to be looking at whether or not the Bible contains errors. And I look forward to sharing that episode with you as well. But until next week, God bless and hold fast.